0: South listeners, this week we talked to Allie Arendt about Old Maids, Southern and otherwise. Allie is a professor in the Department of English at Wagner College on Staten Island. Her research includes work in regionalism, gender, and critical race studies. Currently she's completing a book about Old Maids and regionalism, and along with Jordan Kofer, an edited collection on Flannery O'Connor. We caught up with Allie this summer in New England as she herself prepared to get married, marking this as her last official interview as an old maid so today we are talking about old maids and we're going to consider or investigate is there anything special about southern old maids are they more common or are they different or there are less or more opportunities, or do they, I guess, appear with more frequency in Southern literature? So first though, I think we should start, Allie, what is an old maid? am i an old maid i think is what
1: i'm asking <laughs> when whenever the personal aspect of the question comes up i always like to say that i have dismantled it that my research on old maids undoes all of that so no of course not gina okay. <laughs> okay do i want to
0: be an old maid? well maybe
1: now? i don't know maybe you do we should we should talk about it and then maybe we can return to that because i do think that there it does seem like there's a moment of kind of like ironic reappropriation that happens so um you know perhaps i think we can we can see how how things come out in the we can end. delve
0: into our, our personal relationships. <laughs> it might be one of those figure. things like
1: like uh I can say mean things about myself but other people can't say mean things about me. <laughs> Maybe one of those kinds of things. Okay. So, but I I would say on the on like so kind of I think there are layers of answers to the, or to the question of what an old maid is um on a kind of denotation level uh it would just be a woman who is past the typical age of being married and who seems unlikely to be married. But, secondary definitions also include like, prurience, over-interest in other people's business, busybodiness, um, stuff along those lines.
0: Oh, it's also a behavior it's designation. It's a behavior
1: designation, that's right, that's right. So, yeah, that's a piece of it too, um,
0: yeah. Wow, okay, so there's no actual age limit It's just a perception of whatever marrying age is. That's
1: right. I mean, I think there are people whose work kind of charts like uh, when over time you would have been considered an old maid, and I mean, I think that's gotten, the age gets higher and higher as time marches on, but uh, yeah, I mean, you you find it in books, like a a woman will be 22 and everyone's like, oh, she's an old maid now, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But now we're all getting married older. That's right. I mean, I say we all, that might not be true.
1: But I think uh, I'm getting married. Older. <laughs> <laughs> I think me too, and I think statistically that is the case, so
0: Okay. Yeah. Now, in terms of these behaviors, busybodiness would just
1: is kind it of scorn-marmy? over marmy? I think it's like over interest in other people's sexuality sometimes. Uh, that can be one piece of it. Like, um, in the Christmas Carol, um, Maybe it's cold outside. There's that line about my maiden aunt's mind is vicious, right? Like they have to kind of watch what they're doing because there's some sort of old maid figure who's like looking in on their relationship, seeing what they're up to, sniffing the sheets, something like
0: that. Ooh. Yeah. So it's uh, like a curiosity in other people's sexual experience. Yes. Because presumably old maids are old maids, virgins.
1: I I mean that's an that's an interesting question too, right? Like I think. We've moved away from a culture that presumes because someone isn't married that person hasn't had sex but I think historically if you had had sex and weren't married you couldn't necessarily advertise that if people didn't presume it in the same ways so um, you know I, th- I think in a lot of the books that you read especially from the early 20th century there is that kind of presumption and then sometimes a straight ahead like you know in Faulkner it will be with Rosa Coldfield the smell of female old flesh long embattled in virginity you know so you have these lines that really do kind of root you very deeply in the sense of like a virginity that's so kind of like overburdened by its own weight that it's kind of festering into some kind of swampy rottenness. Yeah, like a
0: rotten fruit on the vine. (laughs) Like a rotten
1: fruit on the vine, yes. Exactly. And that's pretty typical old maid imagery, I would say, especially from early 20th century stuff. So
0: It's also very gothic.
1: It is very gothic, that's right. That's exactly right.
0: Now... Are there special things about Southern old maids? Or are... What makes the idea or what drew you to looking at old maids in the South?
1: Well, before before I answer that, can I say a few more things just yes. about old maids generally? Yes. Like, I think one thing about old maids is that it it the old maid figure has to retain kind of the worst aspects of youth and age. So you often do have this kind of, like childishness or um, immaturity coupled with like an aging body that's getting grosser and grosser so those two kind of seem to pair oh, yeah. together old. old and made Mate. so there's a yeah. kind of built in tension or kind of a, um, a kind of duality built into that and it's it seems to me like um, in many cases it's kind of the worst of both I I mean there there is maybe there are some we, and we can talk about this too some kind of more light hearted models but uh, my reading suggests it's a fairly negative concept in many cases, so, but time, time and context change that. So
0: in what way does the South either nuance your concept of old maid, or how does it link up? Yeah, basically.
1: So my research persuades me that old maids are almost always regionally inflected in one way or another, or that it's a trope that gets a lot of regional emphasis. It shows up a lot in uh, literature that we associate with regionalism or with local color. I mean, and again, those are slippery terms because what what literature isn't regional on some level, what's not writing out of a certain place, so this is all kind of provisional. But I do think that um, in Southern Lit, and the the stuff that I've spent the most time looking at is from the early 20th century, the 20s, 30s, 40s, there is a moment where a pretty particular trope starts to surface in, in the works of several different writers. So I'm thinking of Ellen Glasgow, of William Faulkner, Catherine M. Porter, and Richard Wright, all kind of use this Southern old maid figure who often has a rotten body. (laughs) Yeah. So So it's
0: about the decay and embodiment.
1: That's right. It's often a a pretty embodied condition. um, And it has a lot to do with reproductive potential that's kind of festering and gone wrong or the fear that that's the case. Or in some cases, even kind of like a a self-consciousness about that trope and kind of a mockery of that. Like, isn't this a ridiculous thing to think about or be worried about like a lot of modernist stuff there is that kind of like level of self-consciousness about it so that it, so that writers can use old maids to simultaneously kind of express a certain amount of anxiety and then maybe mock that exact same anxiety i see
0: what's the difference between old maids and lesbians or like is there a crossover there that you see women categorize it all as old maids who have old maid companions?
1: I haven't found a lot of that in Southern lit, although it could just be that I'm not aware of it and it exists. There is the kind of Boston marriage thing that exists in the Northeast, where like women are living these companionate, often very long-term, often very committed relationships that I think we'd read really differently in the 21st century. than, although maybe people, were, maybe maybe that was just kind of the best way to talk about an open secret at the time. Um, but i I think the old maids I'm looking at mostly don't seem to be lesbians. they seem to have a lot of heteronormative desire that that has a lot to do with uh, how they perceive themselves and other people, so even a kind of like lovelorn quality um that that shapes uh yeah uh like why they're these kind of you know tragic comic figures
2: so yeah,
0: because is it dangerous for single women who are of marriageable marriageable age, is it dangerous for them to be around old
1: mates? <laughs> will it rub off? yeah uh, I don't that's a good question there's a there's a Zora Neale Hurston story that it's in mules and men that's it's it's called something like how the squinch owl came to be, and there's a maiden aunt in that one who's hanging out with um, the suitors who are courting her niece and there is this kind of anxiety that she's gonna mess up the courtships that are happening and one of the suitors says to her if you go up on the roof and sit on the roof all night i'll come for you and marry you in the morning so she goes up to the roof and sits there and she's like super cold sitting up on the roof and she keeps saying like cold in the night but married in the morning and she freezes to death up on the roof and her sad cry is like how the squinch owl comes to be so Maybe there is a kind of, like, we have to rid ourselves of old (laughs) maids. But then maybe you never do rid yourself of them, because even if you get them to freeze to death on the roof, they just, you know...
0: They turn into something else. Yeah,
1: they transfigure.
0: Who are kind of our best... Representations of Southern old maids. I know you've named a few. The one from mm-hmm. Hurston. Mm-hmm. You really spoiled that story for everybody.
1: I did. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, everybody. It's it's still worth reading. Um, it's very short.
0: Light in August, Joanna. Yeah,
1: yeah, Joanna Burden and Light in August. Um, uh, Rosa Coldfield and Absalom, Absalom. Oh yeah, she yes. she
0: seems like a quintessential because she's so busybody. Yes. But she tries to, like, sacrifice herself into marriage, right? At one point, That's she thinks true. that she's going she's to She's
1: ready to do, it, to do it to save Judith and Henry. Um, but then she gets insulted and refuses. But even the insult seems to give her so much mileage. So there's a weird kind of, like, even feeding on the sort of spoiled side of all of that. Um, but the interesting thing about her, one of the very interesting things about her to me, is that she is a regional writer. She's writing all this poetry about the confederate soldiers and publishing it in the jefferson newspaper and all this stuff so um so i think one piece of the old maid discourse too and maybe this is where some of that self-consciousness comes in is that i think uh because regionalism often gets coded as like a feminized literary genre or sort of lesser than other kinds of literature i think for writers who maybe are interested in kind of trying to signal themselves as bona fide modernists if you can send up regionalism that might have a way of kind of, you know, uh, distinguishing you through difference or kind of, yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, he's really sending up regionalism via this old maid figure, which distances himself from just sad, cliche woman writer. Yes,
1: exactly. I think that's right. Hmm. Provisionally, I feel like what I could say is that it seems like most old maids are, it's a pretty white construct. Although I can think of a maybe one or two exceptions, but there it's pretty class inflected too. So um, it does seem like most often old maids are coming from contexts where there's this sort of sense of like, it's a, it's a metaphor that I think tends to appeal to dominant cultures or people who have seen themselves as kind of being in a powerful position and and maybe at the point of no longer being able to reproduce that powerful position in the same ways that it has re- has existed previously. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Emily, Emily Grierson and a rose for Emily uh, seems like another figure you can consider. Although, if we make rotting bodies the criteria for old maids, then I think Homer Baron maybe becomes the old maid figure in that story, perhaps.
0: Because it's uh, dangerous to be close to old it's maids. It's probably true. They yeah, They're going to rub their old maid off we'll
1: on you. You'll get your, yeah, get that uh, female old flesh all over you. <laughs> so gross.
0: Old maids have appeared in a lot of other contexts. Yes. Today, um, I wish people, I wish... I don't wish this were a video podcast, but, um, Allie has brought these fantastic, you may remember them, um, this card game, old maid card game, which is essentially like memory.
1: Mm -hmm. Right? You're you're looking for pairs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, you're looking for pairs. Is the old maid by herself? It's the only
1: card without a pair. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yes. It's so sad. It's so sad. Um, Now, do you know what year these are from? I don't. I do remember playing Old Maid at my grandmother's house. I do, too. And I never really thought about it then. Where are other unexpected places that Old Maids show up?
1: Old Maid is one name for a corn kernel that hasn't popped when you make popcorn. Oh. That's that's one thing
0: I've come across. So, cards, popcorn. Unpopped
1: popcorn.
2: Oh, jeez.
0: Yes. Has there been an attempt to reclaim Old maiddom into something positive or say, oh, it really is the source of agency? Has that happened with Old Maids?
1: One thing that happened a lot in 90s feminist scholarship is that people, uh, scholars, especially even looking at kind of the most negative representations of these Old Maid figures in Southern Lit, would try to kind of do feminist reclaimings of them. So they would say, like, she's not an Old Maid, she's a mother of words. She's created stories and her stories are her babies. But to me, that becomes kind of a, a meaningless designation because, on that level, like especially if you think about a book like *Absalom, Absalom*, so then Quentin Compson is also the mother of words, and so is Shreve. Like on that level, who isn't? I think if we make um, if we make any kind of storytelling analogous to reproduction, then we risk uh, kind of um, maybe obscuring the particularity of, of human reproduction, which does have this predominantly female component right. so yeah
0: well and there's also no way to say in Absalom Absalom that Quentin and Rosa are not the same character no that's right I mean it yeah. sounds like the most obvious <clears> thing ever but I don't think any reader approaches them the same no yeah even the first time reading it there is nothing similar into yeah, to say that oh she's the mother of words, but it's very clear she's the mother of silly words.
1: Yes, and and kind of hyperbolic self-aggrandizing. I mean she maybe is the least reliable narrator in the whole book. Uh and yet, I think I I I think there is something compelling about a lot of what she says even as I think we're meant to hear her as pretty unreliable. But the anguish that she lends to the text feels like there's a kind of there's something important that reveals and oh, an important way in which that sets the tone of the book.
0: And is it is it also, is it just the, now that we're talking about this, is it just the, re, the fear of reproduction, but it also seems to be, and maybe this is related, that being like the old maid card, like being alone, does it tap into weird human anxieties about not having companionship because it's not a Boston marriage it's not two women who are lesbians it's not it's not any of these other things it's the person who is alone
1: yes and maybe not even like just alone but kind of alone and rotting like it's not even kind of a status quo there's like this kind of deterioration that becomes its own fertility almost so i think it is a lot about that anxiety
0: And it's a little bit too, you saying that the rotting and the the future anxiety too, it does, it feels a little bit like all of the pervasive mythology of lost cause.
1: Yes, I think that's right.
0: Becoming obsessed with something because it's supposedly not happening. Yep,
1: yep. And all of this happens at a moment when women are, like the whole blue stocking thing. Like, I think um, there's there's tons of discourse about, um, like, I've lost the word now. Um, White race suicide anxiety at that time period, right? This sense that women can now go to college, they can work, they can um, do all these other things and they aren't beholden to men for financial support in the same way that they were. So a lot of fear that white women will fail to reproduce at the same rates as women of color. Um, A lot of fear that, uh, yeah, that uh, race mixing will happen to the point where whiteness doesn't mean anything anymore. So I think there there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of culture bearing that women are expected to do and that women get blamed for if people perceive that it's kind of failing or at an absence. So in those ways, it reminds me a lot of our own moment in the kind of Trump line about making America great again, this sense of kind of a lost past and anxiety about what happens if we can't reproduce it and whose fault that is. So I think part of the discourse around that definitely does blame people of color, but it also blames white women who aren't kind of doing their duty in reproducing white, white, white babies. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. They're de- and this goes back a little bit to what Monica has talked about, is as a region, just certain portions or ideas of the South, the sort of designing women South, put so much pressure on women in the South. And I think that may actually work across racial and ethnic lines. Mm-hmm. That Ideas about whether it's labor, like working labor, or actual birth labor. Yep. There's just a lot. And this probably does go back to plantation economies and enslaved bodies. That because bodies mean so much, it really heightens the stake of women's reproductive power. Yes. And Kara Walker does this in her art, really pointing this out. And that if you're trying to opt out of that system, or maybe that system hasn't worked for you, you're Uh you're somehow the thing, you're the single card that doesn't fit the deck. That has no match. That that's just gotta be the the work. Holding
1: that card makes you the loser.
0: Holding that card does make you the, oh right, because there's Old Maid where you match things, and then there's Old Maid where you don't want to be dealt the Old
1: Maid. I think that's right. Yeah, you try to get rid of all your cards, but whoever has the Old Maid can't match her and thus loses.
0: Whoever has the old maid card loses. Because it's the thing the system can't recognize. That's right.
1: The system can't deal with it. Yep. Modernization has a lot to do with this anxiety that the South will cease to be what it was.
0: Oh, it's agrarian uh, anxiety. It's, a, it's
1: agrarian anxiety.
0: All dudes, I'll point out. Yes,
1: that's right? true. And, and some of their poetry uses that. Alan Tate has an essay about like the graying
0: lady... I wonder if there's an uptick, maybe you already know this, is there an uptick of old maids around the agrarian heyday that they start showing up more as a metaphor?
1: Yes, I think that's kind of the period that I was looking at, like the 20s, 30s, 40s, and it does seem like that trope gets a lot of airtime in that period, and, and that often it is kind of in conjunction with a lot of agricultural anxiety kind of the woman as land metaphor and a lot of crop exhaustion like you have um, the Dust Bowl the sense that kind of uh, yeah cotton like cotton has exhausted the land and there isn't the same kind of capacity to grow the things you grew that sort of made you characteristically what you had been so
0: or what you think you what been. you thought you were yeah and then you're also losing control as women start to do other things yes Oh yeah, there's all this potential, like the agrarians, right? There's all this potentiality in the South that's not being used yes. in the right way, yeah. or is going to rot and fester, yes. or you know, which is also weird. I mean, you know, the agrarians—they're weird. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean they're wrong, like at every turn, they're it's wrong. It's true.
1: But and I- they're so anguished. They love how anguished they are too. Like they're all ripped up and they love their ripped upness like there's maybe nothing more beautiful than their own
0: yeah they completely fetishize this figure yes. right of something old and rotten but something that like has the potential of youth mm-hmm. but maybe if we're not careful we're gonna lose it I mean it's all lost cost yes I think that's right yeah yeah so I don't want to reclaim that like oh words are her babies because that kind of then just gives the agrarians more power I think that's right Like, oh yeah, they are. They're doing the thing. They did the thing. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah.
1: No. No. Agreed.
2: You don't have to spare the devil's feelings. You don't have to drive the devil back home. You don't, you don't have to dry the devil's tears. He certainly never dries
1: you. To me, one the kind of interesting exception to white old maids is Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. Yes. Where you have the Dead Sisters.
0: Um, yeah, I was gonna ask about that. Is Hurston's old maid in the story?
1: It's a white it's the master's sister, so it's that's still white figures.
0: Okay. But in yeah, Morrison That's right. You have Dead Sisters and you have other even in Tar Baby, I think Jadine I think that's the character's name. there's an anxiety that she's going that's to right. become an old man that's right I mean granted yep. she's sexually active, but she's not gonna find she's not gonna marry someone
1: yep that's right or is appropriate that's for right her. that's exactly right, yeah, and she's maybe liking the wrong guy uh, man is that his name in the story the the guy who shows up at the house. Yeah, I can't remember. We know who we mean. Yeah, I know
0: who you're talking about. I love that book. I teach that book. I
1: just taught it this last semester for the first time and I really liked it. But
0: So what happens when the old maid moves across racial lines?
1: I think in in Morrison it seems like it's the dead sister's financial, their family's financial prominence that kind of keeps them in that role. Their father won't let them kind of work normal jobs. They work, they make those, they make silk flowers. So there again, you kind of have this like flower imagery and a sort of artificiality to it. And one of them falls in love with a guy who's kind of like a pretty working class guy. And she has the moment uh, to run away with him. And then she has this moment of, I'm, I'm spoiling all the books. No, go ahead. Um, <laughs> I really am. Uh, this moment of, it's kind of stopping and being like, oh, if I do this, I'm gonna fall out with my family in a big way. And there's a line there about how she has the image of these kind of velvet flower petals in her mind. And there's, I, it, I think it kind of connects it to her body too. And there's this sense of kind of like this is her chance to to not to not just be producing something artificial. And she ends up running off with him, and it feels like this moment of kind of throwing throwing away or like um, transcending the limits of old maideness kind of maybe yeah that comes by virtue of economic privilege so a weird kind of like privilege that becomes a constraint
0: we've talked about a lot of fictional old maids what about southern writers for instance o'connor is o'connor an old maid or is she something else
1: i think that women writers who never marry themselves tend to not write old maids using that trope i think o'connor has a lot of single women in her fiction and she herself is a single woman she has academics she has writers but i don't think she really uses the old maid trope much i mean you might be able to find moments holga might maybe be but i think i don't know that the text itself uses that language or kind of draws that discourse around the figure um and i i don't know i mean try not to speculate too much biographically but it makes sense to me that perhaps the closer you are to that p- position biographically perhaps the greater distance you want from the kind of negativity of the construct I, I Welty is maybe a little bit different I think Welty does use old maid figures in her fiction and herself I suppose I mean I'm not saying that I, I don't call people old maids <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah we should not I mean, If, if the, you think we
0: should stop using the term old maids for people
1: I, th- I mean, I think I do personally. I mean, if someone wanted to say that about themselves, I suppose I wouldn't be like, no, how dare you? But uh, I don't, I try not to like throw it around in a, I do I do think that there are like 21st century send ups of old maids. I'm thinking of Kate Bollock's book, Spinster, that came out last year, where she writes about her own choice to be single and puts that in conversation with a bunch of women writers, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, Edith Wharton, and St. Vincent Millay. Um, which which kind of brings me to, I think, what is another piece of the old maid discourse. And I kind of touched on this a little bit in talking about that 90s feminist move to kind of claim that as long as these old maid figures are producing something, they're not actually old maids. And that is what I call kind of the book babies argument. And I think um, what I mean by that is this sort of sense that... Um, you know, maybe I haven't reproduced humans, but I created this story, or I'm doing something with words as a writer, and those are my children. And that's a really old idea. It comes up in Plato's Symposium. Shakespeare's sonnets even do that, like, you will die, but this poem will keep living. Um, so that there's this weird kind of, I think, very false analogy that gets set up between books and babies, um, and that maybe maybe a lot of writers kind of torture themselves with this notion that... Um, you know, I don't know, maybe with the comparison um, or with the fear that having chosen one you can't choose the other or that maybe you've chosen wrongly in whichever one you've chosen, that your kids kind of uh, keep you from your literary aspirations or that your pursuit of a writing life keeps you from having a family life in the way you might want. I think a choice that particularly maybe falls on women writers... Historically,
0: oh, this was like giving birth. No, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) That metaphor
1: does come up a lot in the discourse around books. People will think their collaborators is like midwives, or, you know, like this language comes up. Um, I think Plato ends up making the argument that it's better to have ideas and writing than it is to give birth. Which I think when I step back and think about that, I'm like, well, that's just a way of kind of like having a greater power than female reproductive capacity, right? Like, if it's, it has to be the better thing because it's what men do. So I think in that framework, it seems like, uh, yeah, hard to, it would, if you are a guy and that's a, an anxiety you have, not being the one who does the actual reproducing might complicate that in a way that means it's an always losing game. I guess it depends a lot, it depends on your relationship to the question, but, um, it feels like when the question does come up, it's like, well, it's a good thing I can write books because I can't have babies, but I prefer books anyway. So, right. because it would be terrible to want the thing you can't do yourself.
2: You don't have to take the devil's phone calls. You don't have to dance to his favorite songs.
1: Twelve days, I think.
0: In twelve days. Twelve days. You're jumping off the old maid train. I know. (laughs) How does that feel?
1: I think weird. I mean, very good. I'm very excited about the person I'm marrying. He's great. But I think uh, I've spent so long kind of thinking about old maids, and I am the I am one of four sisters. I'm the last to be married by a long, like a long. I think my my younger sister has had like her ninth or tenth. Wedding anniversary, so it's been a long time between like the last wedding in my family and mine. So,
0: so if it was the nineteen twenties,
1: oh man, I mean,
0: that people would think you were an old
1: maid. Oh, for sure. When I mean, I maybe shouldn't say this on the podcast, but when my younger sister got engaged, my older sister was like, "Well, you're an old maid now." I think that was before I was working on my project. and I, was, for all for all anyone knows, maybe that's even where the project came from.
0: Do you think um, you're gonna be able to write about old maids now that you're not one? <laughs> Or are you relinquishing your No, I don't um, think so. What what I
1: really am interested in is Old Maids and regionalism at this point, like I would love for kind of what was my dissertation to become just one chapter in a larger book, because I think what what gets interesting to me is the way that we kind of ask women to stand in for this whole set of cultural anxieties. I was reading Jeffrey Eugenides' The Virgin Suicides, um, which I think is kind of a 21st century Old Maid novel, and then I read an interview that he gave with the Paris Review where he talked about how he was thinking about Detroit's auto industry and the financial decline that Detroit has experienced and decided to write about these sisters as his analogy for that kind of decline. So again, that sense of like a formerly um, kind of powerful and, and often financially secure position. Uh, and then this sense of kind of loss or a failure to reproduce that, that gets kind of mapped onto women in particular. And I think the, I mean, maybe maybe there are ways in which men become metaphors for that anxiety too, and I'm just, they aren't visible to me right now, but it does seem like uh, something about the kind of culture bearer function that women often get asked to play means that that anxiety, and probably that maybe mixed with women's reproductive capacity means that when we use a metaphor to talk about that set of anxieties, a woman, and usually a white woman, becomes that metaphor.
0: Right, because to me, I'm compelled by your regional angle because the larger nation is often created at the site of the local. Yes. And so you think, for instance, something like birth of a nation. hmm I mean, the first word, basically, is birth. Yep. And so it's all about futurity and fears over mixed-race reproduction. I mean, that film yes. is all about that. Yes. I can't remember if there are any actual old maids in that film Mm -hmm. but it it does seem to be that it's at the most local level the most micromanaged level which is what two people choose to do or any given individual chooses to do or not do with their body is where the state intervenes that's right, yep and says you need to be a productive literally a productive citizen yes, that's right whoa whoa so are southern old maids different than pacific northwestern <laughs> old maids
1: provisionally i want to say yes i think so i think well for one i'm not i'm not i don't have like a load of pacific northwestern old maids at my fingertips i can mary austin writes about the west um I'm trying to think about other writers who write about the West. I think women in the West have a different set of tropes that kind of organize femininity and what that looks like.
0: Oh, so, it's like the Hillary Swank movie.
1: Oh, I, the uh, the, I, the what is it? The, the Homesman. Yes. Have you seen? That? It's set in Nebraska. I have seen it.
0: Right. Yes. That's okay. right. That movie. She's an old maid.
1: I think that's right.
0: Because she's so plain. Okay, first which of all, which
1: is which is ridiculous. because have we talking about this? No, but
0: the premise of this movie is that Hillary Swank is so repulsive that
1: even Tommy Lee Jones won't have sex with her. Yeah, it's
0: like she literally takes off her clothes and he's like, eh, no. and <laughs> "Could so never." So out by Hillary Swank. That makes no sense. No sense. So it's like. The old, her old maidness is just perpetuating upon itself? I think there she
1: has a lot of power. She's kind of too strong to go-getter. She doesn't really need a man except for reproduction, kind of like what you were talking about before. So women have this reproductive capacity and yet do not asexually reproduce. And so it's almost like she she, she there's so many ways in which she doesn't need a man that no man wants her. She's too scary, I think, because she's too capable. Now, the, is
0: your fiancé moving into your place? He
1: is. So. See, now that... He's also given up his job to come so that I can keep my job in New York. So
0: cool. you know. But don't you worry about someone touching your stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh-huh. We did had to have we had to have a conversation about like, can I write in your books? Can you write in my books? Do you no. write in-
0: <laughs> You can't let someone write in your books? That's
1: kinda where we landed. There's a great essay by Anne Fademan about the problem of library merger and she talks about how she and the man she's married to um like had two children together they'd been together for 15 or 20 years and yet the thing they never could do was merge their libraries no Uh,
0: i couldn't do it yeah
1: it's a great essay she talks about how they eventually did it and like what an awful process it was and how they would come upon two copies and it was like well whose copy do we keep and which one do we get rid of i think they were also dealing with the space constraints of living in a manhattan apartment so it's like on some level this becomes necessary um, but it's a pretty hilarious essay about like, you know, we we can be merged in any way, but not
0: books not, are not, not
1: babies. Books are not babies. That's right.
0: Um, Absolutely. You can not. share you can, you can share, share a
1: baby. <laughs> you can't share a book.
0: No.
2: <laughs> you don't have to answer the devil's questions. You don't have to take the devil's arms.
0: That's our show. We'd like to thank Allie Aarant for providing both the conversation and the music for this week's episode. You can find a link to her album on our website, aboutsouthpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please subscribe to About South on your preferred podcast platform. About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines is co-producer. Theme music is by Brian Horton. I'm Gina Kaysen. Next week, we'll be talking to Tara Bynum about John Merritt, black pleasure in the early South, and whether or not Baltimore is a Southern city. Until then, take care.